Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we're humbled by the depth of the love that you have for each one of us. And by your willingness to display that love on an old wooden cross like we sung about today. But Lord, we also thank you. You sure didn't stay there. You rose again. And you're alive today as much as you've ever been. And no, we can't see it with the lens of our eyeball. We see it through the lens of faith. Jesus, you're here with us at this moment. We pray, Father, for each one of us that we would release the things from our lives that would keep us from connecting with you today. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you do a work inside of us that we can't do for ourselves for the glory of God. And that you'd have your way with each one of us. I thank you, Lord, just watching the people come in today that you see this church as a precious flock of yours. And we bless your name that that you're a good shepherd. And you lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And you bed us down in the green pastures. and, And you feed us. And you love us. And you serve us. We are the most blessed people on the face of this planet, Lord. And today, we say thank you. Hopefully beyond the words of our lips, but the way that we choose to live our lives. For your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Thessalonians 5, that's where we're going to be today. This portion of Thessalonians is wonderful. This church was so amazing. They're really an example to us. They were rich in love. They were rich in faith. And they were rich in hope. And it was because of the way that they saw their Bibles. They didn't see it as human words penned by human authors. But they really saw it as what it was for what it is, the Word of God that works in them. They let it work in them. See, it's very important that we can sit here today and we can hear these things. But if we don't allow these things to get inside of us and to do the work that it can do, then we're not accomplishing what God's asked us to be and we can't be like this church. This church is phenomenal. Now, I don't usually do this, but I'm just going to read the portion. It's not real long. But I'm going to backtrack a little bit because in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4, the teaching of the rapture, the teaching that our loved ones that have gone on before us are in glory. So in our hurt, we have hope. In our pain, we have promises. But verse 18 says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. These end time teachings should be comforting. And the Greek root word literally means we should be encouraged by these truths. And if you're here today and you've looked at the book of Revelation and you struggle with the book of Revelation because you're thinking, my goodness, I don't want to be there. I don't even want to hear the book of Revelation if I've heard people say before. Look at when you know Jesus Christ, the future is a future of hope, not a future of horror. And we're going to camp out on that a little bit today because I want you to have that confidence. Because I'll tell you what, I'm not going to be here. I'm going home. And it's certainly not because of me. It's because this wonderful Savior who died on a, 2000, on a cross 2,000 years ago said, forgive Jeff because he knows not what he does, and it's finished. I paid for it. 
and offers the same to you. And many of you have responded in the same way I have. But verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, believers, you have no need that I write unto you. You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And when they shall say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction is going to come up on them as travail upon a woman with child and they're not going to escape. But you, brethren, you're not of the darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of the light. And you're the children of the day. We're not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, they sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as you so original text did not have chapters or verses in them. So we're, we're sandwiched here between two things. And the bread of the sandwich is comfort. It's encouragement. This section of the Bible, if you're in right standing with Jesus Christ, should bring you a lot of comfort for the future as humanity rolls out, God's time rolls out, and as your eternity rolls out. But if you're here today and you're just checking out church, you're pondering things, and you don't really know what lies ahead, well, the Bible's very clear that lies ahead, and the Bible's also very clear that Jesus Christ loves you. And Jesus went to a cross for you. And you might need to make the most important decision of your life. I just did a wedding the other day and announced that these two are making the second most important decision, but prior to that, both of them made the most important decision of their life. They turned from sin and embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So if that's you today, I pray that you keep your heart open to the Holy Spirit. So we start off in verse 1, and, and we go through the Bible line upon line, and we're going to just take a look at it. It's a privilege to be able to study the Word of God. Um, verse 1 says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. There's no need because they've been taught God's prophetic truths. Look at Paul was only there for three weeks. Emphasize the cross, emphasize the resurrection, but obviously there was more that he taught there. And he taught Bible prophecy. You know why he taught Bible prophecy? Because the Word of God teaches Bible prophecy. Because Jesus Christ teaches Bible prophecy. I left a church because they wouldn't touch on Bible prophecy. Look at this. How can a church not teach Bible prophecy when the Bible is comprised of approximately 25% prophecy. Okay, ones that have been fulfilled and ones that are yet to be fulfilled. All right, so if we teach the Bible, we're going to hear a lot about prophecy and you're going to hear about prophecy today. I mean, imagine just excluding Bible prophecy. Oh, it's too confusing. I don't understand it. Well, think about this. Teach your kid 25% of the alphabet and see how they do. Everybody's thinking about that right now. Would I cut off the first half or the second half? Would I extract from the middle? You know what we'd end up with? Slang. The way I teach when I'm not behind the pulpit. But the times and the seasons. Now, now I think it's very important for you and I to, to remember this. That in the Old Testament, I touched on it when we were in Genesis, uh, that First Chronicles 12.32 says, In the children of Issachar, okay, the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, Okay, you need to know the days that you live in, not based upon what CNN and Fox tell you, but based upon what Genesis to Revelation tells you. 
These are the days that we're living in. So the children of Issachar, and that's what we need to be like, and every one of us has the example uh, or has the ability to be like a son of the children of Issachar because we've been given a Bible and we've been called to study it. Study to show yourself approved. Look, at if you're not reading your Bible, if this is the only feeding you're getting during the week, you're missing out. You're totally missing out on God's plan for you. Of everything he wants to speak to you. All the studying and all the faith building that he wants to offer to you. I'm thankful I get to feed you these truths today. But ultimately it comes down to you nourishing yourselves. So the children of Issachar, which were men of understanding of the times, times they lived in a few thousand years ago, to know what they ought to do. To know what they ought to do. Now let me tell you a little something about our, our, our days that we're living in. We have signs in earth being fulfilled by the Bible prophecies of the last days. Okay? That's where we're at. And one of the things that you need to remember, some of these signs, I, I just want to strengthen and build your faith and know that that trumpet's going to blow at any moment and we're going home for those of us who are in Christ. Some of the signs that have taken place, May 14th, 1948 was one of the greatest signs and I believe it's what's interpreted by Matthew 24. That's when the fig tree blossomed. That's the regathering of the children of Israel as a nation. It was miraculous. Miraculous. So that's one of the signs that we're looking at today. I'm telling you today that, that when you study the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to 19 or all the judgments and we see something in that judgment that does not currently exist and that's the Jewish temple. The Jewish temple is going to be rebuilt. But if you study what's going on with the Jewish temple, you need to know today that all the preparations for the building of the Jewish temple is taking place. The Levitical trees. Uh, priesthood has been trained how to sacrifice the animals and I think almost every instrument that they need for temple worship has been made. They just don't have the temple yet. So I think I've said this to you before. It's like if I told you, hey, look, it, we're going to connect these two buildings together and, and, and it hasn't taken place, but all of a sudden you see a bunch of lumber being delivered over there in the side yard and a bunch of electrical material and a bunch of roofing material. You know that all the preparations are being made because that's going to happen soon. I'm telling you, it's going to happen soon. One of the other things that... that that is very scary about the days that we live in. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and 2 Timothy chapter 4 says that people are going to leave the faith. It doesn't say they're going to leave the church. It says they're going to leave the faith. Faith teaching, Bible teaching churches aren't going to be exactly popular in the days that we're heading into, but, but people are going to leave the faith. They're no longer going to choose to allow their lives to live within the parameters of God's truth for his honor and glory, but they're going to do life their way. And we've seen that. We've watched that. These are heartbreaking days. Paul tells us about these signs that I'm talking about here, that they be perilous days or days of pressure. Maybe you've sensed that. Most people I talk to have a job that five guys used to take care of 15 years ago. Today it's all on them. The squeeze that's coming down from the agendas of political individuals. We're living in perilous, crushing, pressing times. A day when men will be lovers of self. Right now we have narcissism on steroids in our culture. Well, I didn't see that coming. Well, Paul did. If you read your Bible, you should see it coming. And it's going to get worse till Jesus comes. And men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
Matthew said that it'd be like birth pangs, Jesus told us, when answering a question of the apostles, when are the sign are all these things going to be and the sign of thy coming in the end of the age? And he goes on and he talks about, we're going to look at this, you know, spiritual deception, earthquakes, pestilences, all these things are going to be like birth pangs. They're going to come with frequency. They're going to come with great intensity. And one of the things, if you've got your eyes out of the sand in the days that we're living in today, is that we are going to be moving to a one world globalist system. Globalist government, globalist religion, globalist economic system by crashing the American dollar. And they're going to need a one world leader. And we see them throughout the book of Daniel, the book of 2 Thessalonians, throughout the book of Revelation, and his name's Antichrist. He's going to be a ruler of counterfeit peace. If you will, go with me to Matthew 16 real quick. This is important things for you. This is Jesus' exhortation to you. Matthew chapter 16. Now remember, he writes this church of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Look what Jesus tells the, the religious leaders, okay? So it's very important that you're not a religious person, but that you're a saved person. Not pattern yourself under a bunch of do's and don'ts and rules, but you've come into this love covenant with God through Christ. Here's the religious leaders. <laughs> Look at Jesus didn't have a hard time with crooked tax collectors, prostitutes, anybody like that. But man, I'll tell you what, he lit into religious hypocrites. I love that about Jesus. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, tempting him, desiring him, that they would show him a sign from heaven. And he answered and said unto them, When it's evening, you say it's going to be fair weather because the sky's red. Unlike our sky last night, whatever the heck that was. And in the morning, it's going to be foul weather today for the sky is red and lowering, you hypocrites. He says, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you not discern the sign of the times? Look at they very easily through the eyes of their head could take knowledge of the physical forecast by observation. But they were ignorant because they didn't have the eyes of faith to look through the lens of Scripture to see the spiritual forecast of the days that they live in. Do we? Because we need to. Remember what I wrote about, read about the sons of Issachar, right? That they know what Israel ought to do. I know what the church ought to do today. Get closer to Jesus Christ than you've ever been. Whatever obstacles, whatever's impeding, whatever weights, whatever sins, cut them loose. Get rid of them. There's no more important day than today to get closer to Jesus Christ. You could turn back to First uh, Thessalonians with me. So he says, for you, yourselves, you know, the church knew this. He, he said, you know perfectly that the day of the Lord, all right, 
Now, now the, the day of the Lord, this, this is something that people are like, well, what's the day of the Lord? Now, the day of the Lord that the scripture talks about isn't like one day. It's a time period. All right? And this time period covers approximately the same period as the, the times and the seasons we just talked about, and it begins after the rapture. And this is what it's going to include. The tribulation, which we call Daniel's 70th week or the time of Jacob's trouble. The coming of Jesus Christ with his saints that we see in Revelation 19. I mean, if you're in Christ, you'll be saddling up and coming back with him to fix this catastrophe down here. The thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth and then the final destructions of the heaven and the earth by fire, because God's promise to us in the kingdom, we get a whole new one. We get a new heaven, we get a new earth, and we get to live in a new Jerusalem where there's no more pain, there's no tears, there's no crying, no sorrow, no more death. If that doesn't stir the heart a little bit. But the day of the Lord that we're talking about here, it kicks off a new time dispensation. It's when the hand of God is strongly evident and his intervention is extremely obvious and he's going to carry out his plan for the ages. He's taken control. But look what he says. He, he says that it, it comes... Like a thief in a night. Now, now, a lot of you have heard this before, and, and I use this all the time, but bear with me because I want to share with the people who haven't been here what he's talking about here. And one of the things you need to recognize is there's no way they're comparing Jesus to a thief in character, okay? Jesus is holy, sinless, and pure. He's nothing like a thief in character, a thief in timing. So a thief in timing is really coming at a time when... No one is going to expect him. Years ago, I read this story, or I heard it, um, that a, uh, thanks for bearing with me, you who have heard it maybe eight times, this is number nine, um, that a couple came home, they had a nice house, and they had a beautiful brand new girl they just bought, and it was gone. Somebody clipped it. So somebody stole it. And the next day, they came back, and... Uh, and the girl was back, and there was an apology note on it. We're so embarrassed. We don't want to tell you who we are. Our son did this, and we just ask for your forgiveness. And just as a token of our uh, humble apology, please accept these two tickets to the Phantom of the Opera, you know? So oh, Phantom of the Opera ticket, that's back when that was hot. That's how long ago it was. And uh, so they're, they're like, oh, man, how wonderful, man. Whoever they are, what a blessing, right? So these people go to the Phantom of the Opera the night that it said on that ticket, and they came home, and their whole house was cleaned out. <laughs> so talk about not expecting it. You know, Jesus said that's what it's going to be like when I come back, it's going to be a time when nobody expects it. So one of the things we need to recognize is there's two aspects of the return of Jesus in the future. Okay? And one of these aspects of his coming is in an unexpected hour. All right? Just like we're looking at here. But the other one is positively predicted. One coming is believers meeting him in the air. And the other is him coming with his saints. Now, even the Bible says 
that when the Antichrist sets himself up in his rebuilt temple that I just told you about, that's going to be in Jerusalem shortly because the preparations have been made, that when he sets himself up in that temple and he doesn't allow them to do their sacrifices anymore, but he demands all of the Jews to worship him, that's the midway point of the seven-year time period. You can count it on because Jesus is going to come back three and a half months from that time at the second coming. So remember, I told you last week, I shared with you last week, Paul wrote, I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, second coming, and by our gathering together with him, rapture. Two things. Jesus coming for his church. I want to exhort you. I want to remind you, Jesus isn't a thief. His timing's a thief. So when he comes back, he'll only take what belongs to him. Do you belong to him? Is he your Lord and Savior? Because he's only coming back for what belongs to him at the rapture. At the second coming, he'll come back and he'll save a third of Israel. And he'll set up his kingdom with you and I on this earth. And it's going to be a wonderful time. Verse 3. For when they, okay, now we're, we're going to see contrast in different groups of people. Verse 3 says, for when they shall say peace and safety. So that, that's what's going to be proclaimed during this time period. Now, now it says, when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction shall come upon them as travail upon a woman with a child. And look at they, they shall not escape. So what Paul's saying here, okay, this day, this time period will come deceptively, suddenly, destructively, inevitably, and inescapably. I had to practice that word five times. I kept screwing that one up. But here's the problem. Here's the, here's the whole problem with these people for when they say, and people are believing their message. They didn't listen to the true prophets. They didn't listen to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. Jesus. They didn't listen to the true prophets. And if your life isn't anchored down in the truth, you will drift away in a lie. I cannot emphasize to you enough to know the Word of God, to read the Word of God, and to allow it to saturate your heart. They didn't listen to the true prophets, they turned their ear to the false prophets. This is danger, danger. This is a warning to us, a heart that wants to hear what it wants to hear and not what it needs to hear. That's today. That's today. Now, now listen, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, you don't have to time or you don't have to turn there. He says, for the time will come. Okay? He wrote that 2,000 years ago. He said, for the time will come. I'm here to tell you the time has come. When they will not endure sound doctrine, I don't want to hear healthy biblical truth. But of their own lusts, they're going to heap to themselves teachers, having tickle in their ears, and they're going to turn their ears away from the truth and shall be turned to fables, but they're still going to do church. We're still going to gather in the building. But we're coming because we want to hear something that's going to make us feel good. I want to hear something that's going to glorify Jesus Christ and be what's in best interest for my mind, heart, and life. 
And I only find that in the Bible. And I'm here to tell you today, if this church from time to time doesn't step on your toes, you're in the wrong church. You don't ever go to those feel-good churches that all they care about is giving you some kind of an emotional experience. We want to experience Jesus Christ. And we want him to have his way with us. So it's what they're claiming versus what's truth. Who are they? They're the false teachers, the false prophets, they're spiritual imposters, right? Paul prophesies of a, a false sense of inward security that will exist in an unbelieving world in the end days. They're going to say peace and safety. And then they're not going to be able to escape. It's terminal. The Greek language is, no, they will not escape in any way. That's the Greek language. This isn't stuff I'm coming up with. This is the Bible. It's a strong double negative. Peace, state of tranquility, safety, security. Man's delusion in contrast to divine reality. It happened in the days of Jeremiah. He was preaching truth. Nobody listened. Because it wasn't palatable to the eardrum. It wasn't what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear the false prophets, Hananiah and these other people. And by the end of it, Jeremiah prophesied, the harvest is past, the summer's ended, and we're not saved. We need to remember that the first judgment of the book of Revelation, the first judgment that takes place to kick off this tribulation period, it's a sealed judgment, and it's a rider on a white horse. It comes as a counterfeit Messiah, the counterfeit answer man, the counterfeit man of peace, solving all the world's problems through satanic empowerment. But a small example personally of what he's going to do globally, and I've heard this from time to time over the years, and it breaks my heart, is I've heard people assign to themselves peace to a situation that goes in direct opposition to the Word of God. I have a peace about it, but the Bible says this. But I have a peace. Satan will give us a peace. God will give us a truth. He says it's going to be like a, a woman in travail and they shall not escape. He says, but you brethren, you're not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. We need to recognize that we are eternally, we're an eternally different classification of people. We are. We're the bride of Christ. We're a special people in the eyes of Almighty God. We're the church. We're the ecclesia. We're the ones that have been called out. Precious in his sight, the bride of Christ, the body of Jesus. We can see we're not of the darkness. We used to be. I was totally. But we no longer are because Psalm 119, 105 says that the word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path. Because we walk through this life where the word of God is our compass to help us through the darkest of times. So when it's time to go and Jesus comes back for his church, we want to go out like Enoch. We want to go out with the one who had his testimony that he walked with God 
that he pleased God and God took him. We don't want to be like Lot who got, had to get dragged out of the city and all the people that he loved got destroyed because he wasn't faithful to lead his family in the right way. And he wasn't ready and he wasn't watching. Ye are all the children of the light. Now he's writing to the church here. Remember, this is all addressed to brethren. These are people who have been saved, born again, and now they're in the family of God. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. You're all children of the light and children of the day. We're not of the night nor of the darkness. That's our identity. It's a huge contrast. Christians, light and day versus night and darkness. Look what God did in Zacchaeus' life. Look at that con man crook. But he hails Jesus as Lord, I think at least two times. And on the other side of hailing him as Lord. If I've wronged anybody, I'll pay him back fourfold. Things change. We see that with the demoniac legion, right? Screeching, crying, cutting himself, freaking people out. And Jesus touches his life. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus, Luke tells us, clothed and in his right mind because conversion radically changes a life on the inside. Radically. There's a huge contrast. When the Holy Spirit shows up, he's the spirit of truth and he guides us in the truth and he sets Jesus' priorities in our life. That's why there's a difference between us and them. Now, we love them. We're still here, you know. Uh, one of the, we, at our young adult study the other night, it, it was just a great epiphany, really, is, is one of the young men was sharing that, that we were going through Philippians, and, and, and Paul said, you know, to live is Christ, die is gain. He, he said, and I'm in a twix between two, you know, because, you know, my desire is to go and to be with Christ, but it's more needful for you, church, that I'm still here. Paul said that. And, and this individual brought up the fact that, what a picture of the rapture. You know, we want to go be with Jesus. But it's needful for them that we're here today. And what we do with this and how it impacts our personal memories so we can go out there for them. Get that bride complete, <laughs> trumpet blow, fullness of the Gentile come in, and let's go home. Children of the light, Psalm 119, 130 says, The entrance of thy word giveth light. The entrance of this <laughs> giveth light. It's got to get beyond here. It's got to get here. It gives light. It gives us the ability to see the way Jesus sees. Testimony of the blind man in John 9, 25. This is what I know. I once was blind, but now I see. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 4, 4. You know, the God of this world has blinded the mind of those who believe not. We couldn't see things on an eternal timeline. We couldn't see God's plan for the ages. We couldn't see the importance of hell. All we could see is the temporal things that are perishing. Not the unseen things that are eternal. If you will, go to Exodus 10 with me real quick because I think this is very important for us. I've been doing a lot of Old Testament devotions and I just caught this the other day when I was in Exodus. Exodus chapter 10. This is, <laughs> this is very similar because this is where God is bringing his judgment on the 
enemies of his people who are mistreating them, a godless idol worshiping culture of the Egyptians. And it was time for God brought Moses and Aaron to set God's people free. And Pharaoh would lie and con, harden his heart. But I look at this in verse 21 of Exodus 10. And the Lord said to Moses, this is one of the plagues, stretch out thy hand towards the heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Even a darkness that could be felt. And you see that in Revelation. Same thing in Revelation. That's going to happen again. Where people would gnaw themselves in pain. Okay? And, and Moses stretched forth his hand towards heaven. And there was a thick darkness in the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another. Neither rose any from his place for three days. But look at this. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. People, we live in a day of thick spiritual darkness. Thick spiritual darkness. And we really got to be vigilant to what filters that we're setting around our hearts and our homes. But in the midst of great darkness, there was something different in their homes. We have the opportunity to have light in the midst of the thick darkness that we live in. When you open your Bible, you have light in your dwelling. When you sit down with your family and you do devotions, you're bringing light into your dwelling. Think about globally how many homes are opening up the revelation of God's illumination, the truth of his word. But we get to be one of those people. Keep the word of God illuminated in your home. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. And God, by your grace, may all the people of Old Paz Chapel in Gilead have light in their dwellings. You can go back to Thessalonians with me. But it's your cho- it was their choice. It's your choice. It's my choice. Verse 6 says, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Okay? Sleep literally means we're being lulled to the fact that we're unaffected by the things of eternity. We're staying unmovable inside of our comfort zone. We're choosing ease over service. Our senses become unaware. Our eyes become closed to biblical truth, and it leads to inactivity for the kingdom. Paul exhorts us, we don't have time because we're running out of time, but Paul exhorts us, exhorts the church to awake out of sleep. I know this about awaking out of sleep. That to wake up out of a sleep, you need an external source. 
I mean, obviously you sleep long enough and finally wake up. But, but if there's a time when you need to wake up, you need an external source. One's your alarm clock, maybe your spouse, <laughs> maybe your kids, who knows. But we need something on the outside to wake us up. And I'm telling you today, the Word of God and the Spirit of God need to wake us all up. It's getting close. It's getting really close. And God's looking for people to prioritize the things that he prioritizes. He says here, let us, sleep, let, let us not sleep as do others. Demas went back to sleep. He was a servant with Paul. And he loved the things of this age. He went back to an unbelieving lifestyle. Judas went to sleep. He didn't care about all the promises Jesus Christ was offering him. He had 30 shekels of silver and notoriety hanging before him. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Unbelief in lifestyles. But let us who are of the day be sober. Sober means that I'm not being brought underneath the influence of anything other than the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word. That's the influence of my mind. That's the influence of my heart, thus the influence and direction of my life. Being sober means I refuse to come under the influence of anything that would pull me away from Jesus Christ. But let us, see it's a they and them and there's a us and a we, Big contrast, two different classifications of people on the eternal timeline, unbelievers and believers, those who are heading to judgment, those who get to escape judgment. Verse 8 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. You know what he deals with there? Faith, hope, and love. The very things that, that, that made this church so great in what it was. Faith, hope, and love. Now, I want you to know this because I think sometimes we pray the armor of God over our lives, but it's not the armor that gives us these attributes. It's these attributes that give us our armor. So I'm not looking, God, put my helmet on me. Put my breastplate on me. Put the belt on me. I'm not looking to do that. I'm like, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, pour forth the love of Christ into my heart today. Give me a heart to trust everything that you say that my faith would increase and a hope that I would believe wholeheartedly in every promise of your word that it's for me. And, and, and when I live with that mindset, then guess what happens? The armor goes on you. Then you're protected. So for me, when I read it, it's not the armor that gives me these attributes, but it's these attributes that give me my armor. Faith, hope, and love. Greatest thing. Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 13. And it gives us that confidence. Verse 9 says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Okay, the word wrath here in the Greek is the word orge, and it means divine judgment to be inflicted upon the wicked. Verse 9 if you write in your Bible, man, grab the pen and circle that thing like 17 times. Because this is a scripture of great hope that you weren't appointed 
to God's judgment, you were appointed to salvation. You were appointed to the gift of Jesus Christ and the judgment that he paid for you on the cross. This is a huge scripture of comfort. This is for us believers. This is people for who are children of the light. And you say, well, there's so much going on today, but so many believers are suffering, but they're not suffering from God's wrath. They're suffering from Satan's assaults. Big difference. Big difference. Listen to this scripture. You know, if you struggle, you're like, oh my goodness, you know, I've, I've read through the book of Revelation and, and man, it's, it's, it's kind of scary. And, and here's the bottom line, man. If you're not confident in your salvation, that, then you should be scared. Then you should be scared. We are told to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. And that's not so that we would like double mind or, or guess ourselves or anything like that. So we would have confidence that these things are written that we might know that we have eternal life. Confidence, not in me, not in performance, in Jesus, in the cross, in the resurrection, an invitation to whosoever. So we weren't appointed under wrath. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told us in Luke 21, verse 36, Watch ye therefore, connected what was just said prior about men's heart failing them for fear of things coming on the earth, and the days of Noah, the days of Lot, and, and he says, And pray always that you would be accounted worthy. Okay? Pray for your heart, your walk, and whether your faith is valid. Confidence. To have confidence. Are you confident that Christ is your Lord and Savior? Can you see it in your private life? Can you see it in your walk with him? So he says that we would be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. We want to escape all these things that lie ahead as far as God's wrath is concerned. He doesn't say half of them, most of them. He doesn't even say to avoid them or to endure them, but we get to escape them. The church gets to escape them. The layout of the book of Revelation, the word church is used 19 times from chapter 1 to 3. The church is used 19 times. It's used one time in chapter 22 at the end of the book. So what's between it? Chapter 6 through 19, what we call the tribulation, the seven-year time period of God's judgment on the earth. And look at that. It's not mentioned because it's not here. Seven times in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, 3, right in seven churches, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then in the middle of the tribulation, Revelation 13, 9, as God in his faithfulness is still reaching out to people, he says, if any man hath an ear, let him hear. What's missing? The churches. Because we're celebrating. Because we're at the wedding feast. And we with Jesus are the guest of honor. We're the bride. That we would obtain salvation. Deliverance from sin. It's spiritual consequences involving an attachment to the body of Christ. Admission to eternal life. And blessedness in the kingdom of God. I hope that kicks Eeyore out of you today. You come in here a little melancholy and we can all get a little bit discouraged, but I want you to remember the identity that you have in Christ, the value you hold to him, and all that he's done on that cross. Verse 10 says he died for us. 
And that's what it all comes down to. That's why we're here today. The perfect Son of God would step out of the place of worship, would step out of the place of perfection, and He would come. He would come here. That He would humble Himself, take on the form of a servant, become obedient to the cross for me. you. This is what Jesus has done for us. You are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. You can't buy your salvation by our vain manner of living, received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The blood of the lamb for our sins. That's what Jesus did. Because of the love that he has for us. We can never get sick of hearing about the cross because the cross is the place that God unveils his love for you and me. Where God manifests it. Where God shows it. It's inspiration. And it's motivation to live a godly life. Because we're going to close out in the next verse, but the rest of it is how we should live as Christians, but it's always on the other side of the cross. It's always continue going like Paul said, because the love of Christ compels me. He never lost sight of the Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. Personalize it. He never lost sight of the cross. He died for us. He was punished instead of me. He was punished instead of you. We get to bypass the wrath because we have an appointment with God and it was to obtain salvation through the gift of Jesus Christ and to cancel our appointment with wrath and judgment. Got canceled at the cross. Jesus canceled the wrath of God that you and I deserve because of our sin because he died in our place. That whether we wake or sleep, whether we stay here on the earth or whether we go to heaven, we should live with him always united with Jesus. You think about, you know, the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that comes to repentance. Why? Because God's will got accomplished. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's not willing that any would perish. If you're here today and you know church, you know religion, it's not good enough. He wants you to know Jesus. He says, wherefore this, comfort yourselves together and edify another even as you do. He says, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep talking about the Lord's return. Keep talking about the days we're living in. Keep talking with expectancy and, and with great hope. Keep talking about the privileged position that we get to be in as the bride of Christ. Keep talking about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and all that we have benefited from that act. Don't stop. Key together. The fruit in the center of us 
in Jesus our fellowship with one another. When we are here today, that we would have opportunity to sow hope, encouragement, comfort, and a building up in one another. You see, we have had building projects here. This church, that gym, but this is the building project. You. You being built up in your faith to build up the person next to you, behind you, in front of you, and then to go out and be so built up that you do ministry. Individual ministry. Because the king's coming. Edify to build up. So I hope these truths today, linked with last week's truths, have done something on the inside. Definitely not my ability to proclaim it. Paul just had him read it. And the word does what the word does. You just release it and it has its way with a heart that's willing. Isaiah 55:11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I have sent it. And I hope today that you've received comfort and that you've received a building up for your stance in Jesus Christ. If you haven't, today's the day to do something about it. Today is the day where you wandered in, you're like, what is that all about? That is God's word. These aren't the feel-good messages you're going to hear in most churches. This is God's truth. It's his plan of the ages. The day of the Lord is coming. And right now, he's drawn people to his son because he would rather grace you with salvation because he doesn't want you to have an appointment with his wrath. If you don't know you're saved, right now is the time to turn your heart to Christ. To know that the Son of Man came to seek and, seek and save that which was lost. Look at I was lost for 24 years. I get it. People who are saved in here, they get it. You don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to be humiliated. But you have to respond. You have to respond to Christ. If the Holy Spirit's prompting you. Today's the day of salvation. I don't care if you've been going to church here since the the first day we opened. That doesn't matter. Jesus Christ being your own personal Lord and Savior, that's what matters. We live in a day where a lot of people are church, but they're not saved. They haven't come to that recognition and the need to turn from that sin and surrender to Christ and put your trust in Him to make Him Lord and Savior. He died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for you. He rose again the third day, just like he said he would, to prove who he is. And you can either let him pay for your sins, and you can be graced to go to heaven, or you can pay for your sins, and you can go to hell. But of all the roads that lead to hell, there's not one road that leads out. It's forever. And I'm going to ask you today, if that's you and you don't know you're saved, stand up and we'll pray for you. If there's anybody in here that doesn't know whether they're saved or not, 
you can stand up and we'll pray for you. I know a lot of people like close the eyes, but you know what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I walked right up front of a church, an old Baptist church years ago, because I was on my way to hell and everything changed at that moment. And if that's you here today, stand up and we'll pray for you. Well, I'm glad you have that confidence. But if you don't, you don't know what's on tomorrow. I'm not saying that to scare you. I say that because I'm burdened for your soul. Because Christ loves you and forever is forever. Father, we thank you for these amazing truths. We thank you, Lord, for the very fact that you're a God of love that has displayed it and given the prized possession of your son to us. Thank you for the gift of your son. I'm so thankful, God, that you didn't want any of us to experience your wrath. You want us all to be saved. Thank you that your God is not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. I pray, God, if there's anybody here today with the reality of the days that we're living in and time being so short, heaven and hell being so real. Even if they were too embarrassed to stand up today, Father, that they would choose in their own heart to make you their Lord and Savior. Father, bring an awakening to us. We're children of the day, not children of light. Help us to look to our private lives to see whether our private lives can prove our, the validity of our faith so we can escape all these things that are going to come upon the earth and stand before you. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for these teachings. We thank you for Bible prophecy, Lord. It is being with you, Jesus, it just gives us hope. I ask your blessing over your congregation. I ask God for open doors and opportunities this week because we're going into a broken world that doesn't have hope and you put it all in us. I pray that there would be light in the dwelling of your people. In the midst of thick darkness, that there would be light. Father, that we continue to look to your word to be the navigational tool of the truth in the direction of each one of our lives. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.